uh, it's the first time we've sung that song as a congregational and uh, did a good job with it. That's a good song. We are in John chapter 17 this evening. Please open your Bibles to John, the 17th chapter. How many of you have had sung that song perhaps elsewhere or you knew it coming in? Several of you did, and I heard some of you picking up on it. And uh, just to give you an idea, how many of you, that's the first time you've sung that song? We say the vast majority. And so that's good. I'm glad. And again, as I mentioned, that's another one. We have a great treasury within our songbooks. And so we're working through. We have a systematic method to be able to check and see. I'm putting the song services together. I'm seeking the Lord on it. And then also putting good reason with that and looking at things. Because like anyone, it would have a tendency to gravitate towards the same things if not careful. John chapter 17. And I'm going to give you the title of tonight's message, which is obviously also the theme of it and the biblical truth that we're seeking in it. And I think it'll help you as we read through if you know know that going in. And tonight's uh, title is The Convincing Witness of Christian Unity. The Convincing Witness of Christian Unity. Of course, as... Uh, God's people were supposed to be witnesses with our mouth, giving a witness about Jesus Christ, telling people about why He came. We are dealing with a completely biblical, biblically illiterate society. You say, doesn't anybody know the Bible? There are some, but the vast, vast majority of people with whom you will interact know nothing about the Bible. It's not just that they're not saved people. They know nothing about the Bible. And what they think they know is erroneous because it's come from sources other than the Bible. And so we are living in a complete mission society. Uh, we're gearing everything in our ministries to dealing with the people within our town just like we would if we had taken our congregation and transplanted it into a nation that is Civilized in the sense of having technology, a standard of living and such, but completely bereft of knowledge of the Word of God. We, in planning what we're doing going forward, in planning some of our soul winning outreach and such, we realize we're dealing with people who have no knowledge of God at all. When I was up at uh, Faith Harbor and I was talking to Brother Monty Watts Jr., they had just conducted a vacation Bible school and they were down south. They were in Alabama, I believe. I may be mistaken. It was one of the, uh, the state. I think it was Alabama. It could have been Georgia, perhaps. But uh, he mentioned two 14-year-old girls came. And he was talking to him, And he said, is this your first time at this church? Now, here they are in the Bible Belt. And they said, it's our first time ever in church. Now, we had eight, I think, in our VBS. First time in church. Is that correct? First time ever in church. Now watch this. These two 14-year-old girls, Brother Monty Jr.'s teaching, and he mentions Jesus, and they both go, <gasps> and he said, what? What? And they said, you, you just cussed. The only time they had ever heard the name Jesus was used. They said, we only hear that when mom's really mad at dad. And he started talking to them, and they said, you mean he's a person? Who are you 14 years old? Now that's not isolated like you would hope it would be. And so 
You've got to understand that we have a witness to clearly teach people the Bible. We have a witness to live our life as a testimony that backs up what we say. And then let me say also a great thing, and you're going to see it in the text, a great power for witnessing is something called Christian unity. Um, we're Baptist people. I have said to you before, and I mean it, we have opinions about our opinions. And uh, that's fine. Don't mind that at all. I'd rather do that than be around a bunch of people who just go along with anything that happens. And most of the time, there are days. But, um, but with that said, there is a unity of God that comes that lets people know that we're serving one Lord, we have one faith, one common belief in Christ, and this is an important thing. And so with that in mind, let's look at John 17. And what's happening in John 17, Jesus, if you wanted to give a title to this, certainly this didn't originate with me, but I think it's, it's very, very, uh, very much uh, accurate. Jesus' high priestly prayer, I think that's a good term for it, it's, it's what He prays for those who would believe on Him. Jesus is praying not only, as you will see in the text, not only for those who are listening to Him right that moment, but then all who will be saved down through all the years from the Gospel going forward. And He's praying over them and for them and about them. And that's what's going on when we pick this up in verse 20. And He begins to pray. And here's, here's Jesus as He's praying. Verse 20, he says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on Me through their word. Just like what we call the Great Commission when He told them to go into all the world and preach the Gospel, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, that was not just for the eleven looking at Him. That was for all who would believe on Him. That is as much ours as it was theirs today. And even so, he outlines this here. Neither pray I for these alone, not just this generation, not just those who are listening, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Well, everyone who's saved in this room, that applies to you and I. Verse 21, that they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. Look at their intention. That the world may believe that Thou hast sent Me. The convincing witness of Christian, un Christian unity. He said, I want them to be one so the world will believe that You sent Me. As we're learning in Sunday school, Jesus' stated purpose for His earthly ministry so that He would preach the Gospel to the poor as part of it so they would believe on Him. Look in verse 22. And the glory which Thou gavest Me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and Thou in Me, that they may be made perfect in one, stated purpose again, and that the world may know that Thou hast sent Me. You see what the, you see what the end result is. Why Jesus said this unity is so important so that the world may know that Thou hast sent Me. In other words, our living, our unity, lets people know Jesus is real and He's done something in our lives. He can take a people with as different backgrounds as we have and 
different thoughts on some things as we have and bring us together for one thing, and that's truth. Now, the, the world tries to do this, especially the religious world, and I'm talking about unsaved religious world, they tried to do this through a false unity. This false unity is we just all get along. What we all get along translates to is nobody believes anything. Therefore, everything's acceptable. God's unity comes from belief and being indwelt by the truth. And that, says, that brings us to, to saying we all serve the same Lord. The Bible is actually the Word of God. And, uh, and, and, and we believe what it says. And we may at times disagree on what we think it may teach in a particular area, but we should never disagree on what it is which is the Word of God. For many years in America, there was agreement on what it was. It was the Word of God, and you had different groups may disagree about how to apply certain parts of it. But along with the uh, new versions that started coming in in the late 1800s, and then in through the 1900s, picking up so much speed, and all these different things, the, 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 the discourse and the difference change from what does the Bible say about this to what is the Bible. And that was deadly. And it is deadly. And so this unity he talks about is being one in God. It's one in the Lord within that context of it. And so, uh, verse 24 again, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me... Did I read 23? Not, not all of it. Okay, let's go back to 23. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. I'll let that sink in, how precious that is. That they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou hast loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. And so what is this? This is the convincing witness of Christian unity give you these thoughts with it. There are going to be four basic words we're going to look at with this in regards to this. First word is the word origins. Okay, the word origins. So what's our first word? Tell me. It, origins. What is that? Here, here's what origins. From where does this unity spring? What's its origin? Or what's the source of true Christian unity? I just gave you a little bit of a discourse on that. What, what's the basis of the unity? What are we getting? How are we getting along? What's, what's that based on? So the first word is what? Origin. Second word is aspects. What are the characteristics of Christianity? What are its interactions with other spheres of our spiritual life? In other words, how does this Christian unity, this oneness that we have in Christ together, how does it affect our individual walk with God, our individual lives? So our first word is the word origins. Second word is the word what? Aspects, okay? So origins and aspects. And then the third one is the word maintenance. Maintenance. Christian unity is not a state of existence which just continues naturally without care and diligence. 
its health and vitality will be compromised if it's not attended to. Many things corrupt Christian unity. And here's a statement I wrote down. Therefore, it must be thoughtfully considered. Having once been achieved, what does it take to maintain Christian unity? Remember this. Small disagreements can quickly grow to large contentions. So our first word is the word what? Origins. Second word is the word aspects. Third word is maintenance. In other words, where does it come from? How does, how does it operate? How does it interact? And then how do we keep it? You're not going to just have, oh, one great service, people are going to decide to get along, and then you just keep cruising from that point. No. Something is valuable, as may well be expected. Something is valuable and worthwhile as Christian unity, biblical Christianity, takes effort in order to maintain, and it's worth it, everything that, that is valuable. It takes maintenance. You have to keep up with it. Every relationship that's worthwhile does. And, and nothing different about that with Christian unity. Then, the fourth word is the word benefit. Christian unity is a benefit and a truth. It's a necessity. It's a benefit to the cause of Christ and to the Christian person individually. And we're going to consider both of those when we get down to it. So we've got four words. First word is what? Origin. Second word is aspects. Third word is what? Maintenance. And the fourth word is I foresee a high grade score for you all tonight. All right? That's the word. First thing is, Christian unity are its origins and aspects. Now, I gave you two, two, you as two words, but as we're, going, we're going to look at the same verses for both of those words. Because when you start studying, where does it come from? I mean, it, it, it's really important to know. You live in a world where right now, there are probably scores, if not hundreds, of cars in your town that have a bumper sticker that says, Coexist. And on it, you have all these different religious symbols. They cannot coexist and believe what they profess to believe. I remember a fellow trying to get us involved with the unity service. I don't even get those calls anymore. And he was trying to get me involved with unity service. And he said, everyone's welcome. He says, the beautiful thing is we just drop all the barriers. Well, friends, sometimes you're dropping ones God put there. And I asked him, I said, if you had a Hindu, oh yeah. I said, even though they're polytheists, they believe in multiple gods, you think that's okay. Well, they have their way of worshiping. They're worshiping idols. Devils, the Bible defines it as. It's not okay. For a, for a number of years, a bunch of the churches in town here switched pastors. The pastor for different churches, they would go to somewhere else and then that pastor would go somewhere else and they would all preach the same sermon. Do you know where the sermon, from where it came? No, I'm not making it up. It came from the Roman Catholic Church here in town. St. Mark's to be exact. And it came from there. So you had all these people, many of them Protestants. I'm not a Protestant myself and our church isn't. We're a Baptist church. But, the, but Protestant churches, Baptist churches, whoever they could get involved with it, and they're all swapping pastors, and all of them are teaching or preaching a message handed to them from a Roman Catholic priest. I'm not going to go into the many points at which the Roman institution is an idolatrous institution. That's not my point tonight. But as we looked at that, 
And I got it and I showed Brother Darren at the time. I said, look, this is legit. They're calling. They're setting it up. And they did it for a number of years here in town. I could start naming churches that always participated in it. It wasn't happening. And I'm sitting there looking at that and I guess I got an evil grin and he, he never called me this in public, but he would do it. He said, what, Kimosabi? I said, oh man, do I have an idea. I said, we ought to get involved in this. And he just looks at me like, he's like, what? I said, this would be awesome. I said, they will assign me to another church. The chance of me preaching what's been given to me by somebody else, Zero, you know what I'm going to do when I get there, right? And I said, what you do is whoever they send to our place, you tell them you sit right there until I call you up. I said, and then you let her rip and preach. You don't ever call them up. I said, we can have a time with this. And uh, I didn't ever do it. You said, why not? That sounds neat. It sounded too neat. I think flesh may have been in there somewhere. <laughs> but when you look at the origin of the unity, then also you have to look at what the aspect is. There is Christian unity. Now, you ready for this? I'm not going to be yoking up with a Roman institution. But let me, let me tell you something. There are people... This will fry a few of your Baptist brains. But there are people who attend Roman institution who are safe people. Now they didn't get saved if they followed the doctrine of that institution because the doctrine of that institution taught them that their priest had the power through the power of transubstantiation to actually turn the little wafer into the body of Jesus Christ. And in so doing, they blaspheme Christ when they do that because they're re-crucifying Him according to the doctrine of what they're doing. Their official doctrine teaches that uh, that uh, uh, Mary is a co-mediator. She's she's a co-redeemer with Christ. That's the doctrine of immaculate conception. That she also was born without sin and never sinned. And, you know, y'all looking at me like people do. Never been around. I, I'm not making it up. I've studied the doctrine in detail. I have a lot of experience dealing with it. The Roman doctrine attaches all sorts of works and some outright idolatry. To salvation through sacraments instead of salvation through Jesus Christ. But there are people who have heard the gospel, and sometimes there used to be a fellow over here at St. Mark's, uh, at times when he was reading, he would give out the gospel. And they had readings that had the gospel in it, and the gospel, let me tell you something, the gospel is so much the power of God unto salvation that it will work through the most unlikely of, of vessels, including this old boy standing in front of you, it'll work through the, it'll work through the most unlikely of vessels to people's souls and to their redemption. And so we have brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ throughout the town. Some don't attend church anywhere. Some attend churches who do not clearly or factually treat, uh, teach salvation by grace through Jesus Christ. But they themselves know the Lord as their Savior. He's who they're trusting. And uh, I could give you illustrations about that and people I've dealt with one-on-one and I, where I got down and deal with them. And, I, and I'm finally even looking at to this point right, and saying, you didn't learn that at your Roman church. No, I didn't. That's not what they teach. Oh, I know that. I don't agree with what they teach. I remember one lady in particular and I said, where'd you get that? She said, I used to go over to Sunday school with one of my, one of my friends I grew up with and that's where I accepted Christ. She heard the gospel somewhere else. All right? But here's my point with Christian unity. What's the point of unity? The point of unity is we, what's the origin of Christian unity. Now, the Bible teaches that we're supposed to come out from that kind of nonsense and be separate. A Christian who's in that type of organization needs to learn their Bible and get out of it and be part of a Bible-believing church. 
And I, I, I don't give an inch on that. That's what their duty is, and it's, and it's wrong not to do that. And they need as they go forward. But wait a minute. Hey, hey, what if our spirit was such? What if our Bible knowledge was such and our confidence in the Lord that when we encounter one of these brothers or sisters in Christ in town that has a heart for the Word, if we could give them some of the Word and, and point them towards the Bible and encourage them towards the Bible, and maybe God would do what He's done with so many people, and as they start to get enlightened towards the Word of God, they would know what decisions to make, and they could look and say, that doesn't match the Bible. I've got to find something that matches the Bible. I've got to find something that matches the Bible. Instead of just looking at them and saying, well, you don't need to be in. It might, might, might work that way. It'd be biblical. So what is the basis of Christian unity? Now we go to the fact of those who choose to fellowship together. What is it that brings a group like this, us, we-ins here, what is it that brings us together? I would like to think it's my charm, but I'm doubting that, okay? Not at all. Hopefully my wife comes for that reason at least. But that's not the reason of unity. You say, well, it's because we're all Baptist people. No, we're a bunch of mutts. We're, we're Baptist people here meeting this church by and large. Not everybody is, but we, we, many of us are by conviction. And some of you have been raised that way. Some of you, whatever. But here's the thing. That's not it either. What are the origins? Let's look at the Bible with this. Look in Jude. You'll figure out which chapter. Chapter 1. Pretty easy in Jude. Jude chapter 1. What is the basis? Now, we're talking tonight about the convincing witness of Christian unity. This great tool that God wants to us to use and wants to be used on behalf of the Gospel. What is the origin? Look in verse 3. It says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the, what type of salvation? Common, Common salvation. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for single definite article, the what? Faith, which how many times was delivered to the saints? It's not made, made up over and over again. And so what is the origin of Christian unity? One is common salvation. Every person in this room, from this preacher all the way through here, every person, every one of us who's actually saved, got saved by the same grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It took the same blood atonement. It was the power of His resurrection which gives us life. Every one of us. Our experiences may be a lot different. I, don't, I try not to make too much of experience. On the day I got saved, by the way, yesterday was my, my spiritual anniversary, and uh, on, on the day that I got saved, 42 years and one day ago, on that day, I remember to me it looked like the grass got greener. Now, after 42 years, it looks like it got wetter to me, amen? But to me, it was just, there, there was something with that. Uh, it's hard for me to describe, but that's not what saved me. It was Jesus Christ. It was understanding and finally taking the responsibility of knowing my sinful condition and quit making excuses about why I was living better than the kids I knew in high school that went to church and all the other stuff I used to do. But I finally understood I needed Christ and just coming to Him. Didn't understand all the doctrine of it or anything else. But thank God I heard Christ preached and exalted. And I heard a preacher who preached not himself, but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I heard about the resurrection and the power of God attending to the gospel of Christ worked in my life. Thank God for it. 
Now, some of you may have been a quiet thing. Some of you may have been a thing where you were brought up around it. None of these were new truths for you. See, it's not the experience. The common salvation is the person which we'll be learning and studying about in Sunday school this week when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I am the resurrection and life. I, I am salvation. You say, what is salvation? It's not a what, it's who. It's Jesus Christ. And so the common salvation, right? So the first thing that's unity, and uh, that's the aspect of it, that's the origin of it, is what type of salvation? Common salvation, all right? You want to stay with me? You did great on the first part of the quiz. All right, Second Peter chapter 1. Let's look at another aspect of it. Second Peter chapter 1. appreciate again you being here on a midweek service. I have a strong desire to give you something good tonight and be a help to you. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. Look at this. Look how it's phrased. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained what type of faith? Like precious faith. And the word like is very important there. In other words, it's the same faith. It's a like like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's God's righteousness. In other words, we've come to a point where we realize it's His righteousness, not ours. My goodness, well, how, how much freedom there is in that. First, how much conviction there is in that when we realize our righteousness is not enough. Second of all, how much freedom the, when we realize His righteousness is enough. And so we have this here. And what is it? Like precious faith. So the first thing is what type of salvation? Common. And then the second point of, of uh, origin and aspect of, or, uh, uh, of, the, uh, uh, of the unity is what type of faith? It is like precious faith. Your, your faith's valuable. Guard it. Beware of things which would destroy it and diminish it, cause damage. There are influences which will erode your faith. Beware of them. There are things which will strengthen your faith. Make use of them. Your faith is precious. It's valuable. It's vital. Be glad you have it. Make sure you take good care of it. And then, the third thing I put, the origin of uh, this convincing witness and aspect is being like-minded. Now, I'm not going to read these to you, but please mark these if you're in the habit of studying. Romans chapter 15, verse 5 uses that word like-minded, that we would be like-minded. 15.5 of Romans. And then Philippians has these two passages. They're both in chapter 2. Philippians 2 verse 2 and 2 verse 20. So you have Romans 15 verse 5 and then Philippians 2, 2 and 2, 20. Read those later. We can take time to really let them sink in and what you'll find that word like-minded. That's when it shows up. What does it mean to be like-minded? It means that our, our minds are going the same direction. Does it mean that we agree on everything in life and we just, you know, get in like little robots going together? Nothing could be further from that idea. Because what happens is, a little statement I, I wrote down a couple months ago and I was looking at it today as I was putting some materials together. God always, I'm convinced of this from the Scripture, God always deals with the, with the group individually. When Christ was dealing with the group he would deal with the individuals within that group. And God knows us individually within the group. Think about it, the, the, the great illustration, that's John 3.16. Think about that verse with me. For God so loved the what? 
That's a pretty big group, isn't it? That He gave His only begotten Son that... What's the next word? Whosoever. That's the individual. And God is able to deal with the individual among the group. And if you think about that, like-minded is the same thing. God is not saying you all give your mind over to one person. That's not valuable belief. That's called a cult. It's very deadly. Being like-minded is we are convinced by the same Scripture. We believe in the same Savior, that common salvation, that like precious faith causes us to have a value system, a way of thinking that is based on that common salvation and like precious faith. Now, doesn't that make all the sense in the world biblically? That's how we're supposed to do it, being like-minded with that. Um, look in Philippians chapter 1. I do want to have you look at this one with me. Philippians chapter 1. Now remember, we're dealing with the convincing witness of Christian unity. And we took the first of the four words. Do you remember our four words? Origins. Second one was aspects. Third one was what? Maintenance. And the fourth one was what? Alright. And so the benefit. Those first two we're looking at together. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians. Found it here. In my Bible. That's good. Philippians 1. And look at verse 27. Only let your conversation, your whole manner of life, let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Convincing witness, it should match the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, how you conduct yourself, that you stand fast in what spirit? One spirit. With what mind? One mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. So here you have it all together. Now, how are we striving together? Not being strifeful, but we're striving. We're working together to get something done. What is it for the gospel? Look in uh, chapter 2 of Philippians. How does, this, how does this come about? He said, what's this thing of one mind? All right, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that you be, what's the term? Like-minded, having the same what? Love. Being of one what? Accord. Of one what? If you play a chord, and if you have this piano in chord, and you play a chord, you are playing more than one note. If it's not an augmented chord, you're going to have three notes in it. And so you have three notes. So if you were to hit this, if you were going to hit this chord of C, you are hitting the notes C, E, G. And that those are your, your, your three notes. And those three individual notes play together to make one harmonious sound that is more rich, more full in its, in its application than what they would be individually. That is exactly when it's talking about being in one accord. That's what that's talking about with there. Look in verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife. Remember, we're striving for the gospel, not being strifeful. There's a difference. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. So for us to have one mind, we have to have a humility of mind. We're not trying to assert ourselves over other believers. 
lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. We're looking out for the good of others. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the thing of others. You say, where's this one mind talking about? And who gets to say what that mind is? Look at the verse in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to explain it. The one-mindedness, the like-mindedness is not you surrendering your reason, you surrendering your volition to a human. The like-mindedness is us finding out what Christ was like. Finding out what His mind was like and us coming together in agreement with His mind. That's where it's at. And what is this? This is the origin and this is its aspect. And so this is what goes with this. And, and, and what is it? The origin is a common salvation. The origin is what type of faith? Two words. Like what? Precious faith. And the origin, as we have here, is being like-minded in Christ. That's where it comes from. It doesn't come from us deciding that there are no barriers. It doesn't come from us setting aside doctrine. I have heard, and it sickens me, I have heard doctrine libeled. I've heard people with this uh, superior tone in their voice say, well, we're just talking about the love of God. We're just talking about experience with Jesus. We don't get hung up on doctrine. God does. God does. Somebody, doctrine doesn't matter to him? Absolutely is out of step with the Scripture. How about just this little statement that the Holy Spirit had Paul write to Timothy. I left thee in Ephesus that you might charge some that they teach no other doctrine. That's hard to kumbaya around. God, doctrine's important. Doctrine is the right application of truth as is revealed in the Word of God. Where the problem comes in is where somebody in their doctrinal stance comes across like they are the ones who invented and discovered truth and nobody else can know anything. There's a big difference between that and coming at something saying, here's what I am persuaded that the Bible teaches. Well, I know you are, but will you come along with us over here and we'll do this and teach that? No. I can't be. I can't. Because that's not what I'm persuaded the Scripture teaches. There's a big difference between that and, well, tell you what, it's a good thing the Lord has this church because nobody else is reaching this town. <coughs> that's sickening. And it is not a source of Christian unity. That's a source of pride. You say, well, they're together on that. No, they're not. They'll fight each other like cats and dogs because of the pride. And let's, let's avoid it. Hey, look, look up here. Reality check. You ready for this? Reality check. You all accept checks, right? Reality check. That, that lives in my heart and in yours. Hey, we, we're a lot closer to Pharisee than we'd like to admit. This preacher is. I suspicion you all are too. Come on, look at me. Look now. Look at me with those Pharisee eyeballs. But I tell you what. He said, well, I believe we really, this Bible is really the right Bible. I do too. How about if we thank God for that? How about if we let it affect us? So I, I, I believe the direction we're heading. I do too. It's a good thing since I'm the preacher. But why, why don't we say, well, thank God. I'm glad for that. I'm glad I can know some things. And not, not come at it with an arrogant attitude. May God help us. That would be the Spirit of Christ working through truth in the right direction. And by the way, we'll have to have a Spirit because our flesh won't do that right. 
And uh, so we've got to be careful with it. Then the second thing, we, the first two we had, our first two words were what? Origin, a lot. You're falling off the wagon, man. You're not going to pass. You don't pass. We have to go through class again. You never get home, all right? So the first one is what? Yeah, that did it. And the second one's what? Aspect, man. You all just you're right back on there like that, all right? Then, then the third one that we're dealing with is the maintenance of Christian unity. Like I said at the introduction, something that's as valuable and, and, and wonderful as faith in Christ is and as valuable and wonderful as Christian unity is, that valuable thing is also fragile. And that valuable thing takes effort to maintain. All good things do. That's the way of it. How, how do we keep this? How do we keep this Christian unity? I put down a sentence that I think summarizes what I study in the Scripture on it. We must pay far more attention to the one who unifies us than to one another. Now we're to esteem one another and we're to do good to one another, but we need to pay far more attention to the one who unifies us than to one another. I'll show you what I mean by that in the Scripture. Hebrews chapter 12 teaches us this. Several weeks ago when I began writing different things and seeking the Lord when this message would be good to bring, and as I've studied it and let it get in my mind and learning different things about it, I've been amazed at how important this is. Look in verse 3, Hebrews 12. Did I tell you the chapter? Or and I just sending you to find verse three in any old chapter, verse three of chapter twelve. Uh, of course, we chapters one or verse one and two are familiar with most in the room. Then it makes a statement for those after those two verse verses in verse three tells us to consider something, to take time and think about. <laughs> I saw a t-shirt today. My wife and I met for lunch, and and uh, the guy had a t-shirt. He said, "Think while it's still legal." <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> I got tickled. I walked past it two or three times. I thought, that's a funny shirt. Um, so while it's still legal, legal, let's consider, right? Verse 3, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. To what end or what purpose? Lest ye be what? And faint where? This is how Christians get worn out and fall by the wayside in, uh, in the, in the uh, traveling after Christ. But what are we to do? We are to consider Him that endured such contradiction. So in other words, the maintenance is us paying far more attention to the one who unifies us than to each other. When your sight of Christianity when your fullness of understanding of Christianity starts shifting to what professing people, many of them saved people, around you are doing or not doing or what you learn about this brother or that sister, when you shift over to that, you have decided to accept a very cheap tainted form of your belief. There's something a lot richer and a lot stronger. And that's the one who we're following, Jesus Christ. Because every brother you have in the Lord, every sister you have in the Lord, every young person who's following the Lord, 
every aged saint who's walked with him for years, are all robed in this heavy clay. And well, the Scripture says that we ought not to think of men above that which is written. When we actually start doing that biblically, we can show proper respect for that person, their position, what they do, without venerating them, and consequently, without having our world dashed, although our heart may be broken, we won't have our world dashed if they step out of the way or there's a failing or a flaw we see. When those in Christianity with you become your measurement of God, you've lost sight of your God. And so what is this? The maintenance of Christian unity is to consider Him. I put this down. Okay, what do we consider? Okay, preacher, what's that mean? What do I actually do with that? I see the verse. I believe it. I want to follow that. What's that mean? How do I do it? All right, since you ask, let me tell you. Who is He? Who He is? Think about that. These are things you can put in your mind. Who He is? Think about who Christ is. That He was fully God, didn't cease to be God as He became man. Think about who He is as was displayed by His actions. Right now, we're in the series in the... Uh, uh, in Sunday school about our uh, uh, dealing, dealing with Christ's earthly ministry and we're dealing with His mighty works. And I'm telling you, the big challenge for putting out some lessons about Christ's mighty works was not making it just a year-long study on this one subject. Because right now what we need health-wise in our church, spiritual health-wise, is a good, solid, organized overview of our Bibles. Because our Bible knowledge needs to come up. And so, as we're doing that, Christ has done a lot of great things. And you can think about those things. One way of thinking about who He is, think about particular things you know about Him. How, how he, he acted, like say, at the feeding of the 5,000, what you know about that. And think about Him, how He acted with it. Maybe, maybe as he, he dealt in the Garden of Gethsemane when they came to take Him away and what He did with that. And you think about who He is, and it'll help you with that. All right? And so, uh, the cause of Christ, uh, what is this? You, you consider Him. Uh, who He is. Consider what He's done for us. You can think about that personally. I think about what Christ did for us. I told you the other day, it was, I was out riding there over in uh, western Ohio. I stopped there in front of the building where I accepted Christ. Coming up on the week here of my anniversary of accepting Christ. I stopped there and I looked at that. I took a video of it and I looked at that and I let my mind stop and think how different my life is because of who He is. I never dreamed it. Never thought it. God's been good. And we have so much from Him. And so stop and think about Him. See, you start doing this. This is where the unity comes in. And then when you see a brother or sister in Christ, you know what? If our minds have been on Christ, we can talk about the good things about Christ. Instead of the things we think that are deficient in one another. <laughs> Did it ever occur to us that our ability to measure our deficiencies is deficient? <laughs> that can be a dangerous thing, right? Now watch this. And I appreciate you. I see some of you right now are starting to meditate on Christ. I can see that. You're meditating. You're very much. You got, your, your, you got that meditative look. I appreciate you being here. I really do. It gives me somebody to pick on. But we consider Him. What He has done for us. How appropriate it is. And what gratitude shows. And then we look at this thing. 
we, as we think about who He is, what He's done, all these things, how appropriate it is, what it does, it causes us to stay on task and fulfill His purpose. A good thing about how good the Lord is, yeah, I want to serve Him. He's done that for me, I'd like to do something for Him. He's done that for me, I'd like to give my life to Him. It's just reasonable. Hey, Lord, however you can use me. And, and, and there, that brings a joy back into it. It's, you know, it takes us out of that drudgery we can get into at times, doesn't it? And then the last one we saw, the first thing we saw was what? The origin? Come on now. And then the aspects? And then maintenance? And now the last one, the benefits. And um, two of these, to the cause of Christ. Look in our text there in John 17. Hopefully you didn't lose that. If you did, just go back to it for a moment. The benefit, we're talking about the convincing witness of Christian unity. What we read in John 17 shows you it's right in line over and over. Jesus in that prayer used the word one, that they may be one as we are one, as I am in you. He said, this is what I want. I want a oneness. Meaning what? Okay, everybody just, well, it's the same thing. No, 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 no. God is not so limited that He has to have that for oneness. You ever seen how many different kinds of birds there are? You ever seen how many different types of fish and colors and sizes? How about just different trees and stuff? You know, our God's a God of great variety. And He doesn't require a monochromatic sameness in order to have unity. Better believe it. You know, fellows that I fellowship with and stuff, God willing, we're getting to hear Brother Terrell tomorrow. He's preaching in Washington Courthouse. I'm going to slip over and hear it. But the, uh, uh, the fellows I, 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 I run with that are my friends and such, men are as individual as they can be. They all love that same Bible, go in the same direction. They even uh, The pastors that I know, they go about pastoring the churches a different way. They go about it. Their atmosphere is different. Things are different with it. But common faith, we can get together and talk about how good the Lord is. I've got brothers when we get together, there are certain things we don't talk about. We do. We've never said it, but we're experienced enough in ministry. We just don't get near that. Why? Because they know they think one way about it. They know I think a different way about it. And they know as hard-headed as we are, if one of us happens to step on that, the other one's going to feel obliged to step on it too. And you know, what's the point of that when you could be eating chicken and talking about Jesus? Amen? So with as much as we have to agree with and as much as we agree about the Bible and as much as we're trying to work together to get the Gospel out, there's so much benefit to the cause of Christ with Christian unity. And uh, we can love that and we can be... uh, It's not real strength. Let me put it this way. It's better. It is, it is biblical strength that can make allowances for what others may think or believe and hold to what you hold to. You don't have to go along with it. You don't have to get, well, if, live what you believe. Live what you believe. Right there's a place to start. And that's where strength comes from. To the cause of Christ. Verses 21. Look at verse 21. I pointed these out as we read through chapter 17 of John. That they all may be one, as Thou, Father, art in Me, and I in Thee, that they also may be one in us, declared purpose, that the world may believe that Thou 
has sent me. Look at that phrase uh, uh, repeated again in verse 23, that the world may know that thou hast sent me. He said, here's how they're going to know. He says, they want, they need to be agreed on me. And then it's a benefit to the Christian person individually. It allows all our things to be done with charity. This thing of the Christian unity. It heals many of our wounds. And by the way, Christian unity from the right origin with the right aspect with the biblical maintenance on it, it keeps us from many evils such as pride, envy, ambition, being a busybody in other people's matters, depression. Why? Because unity allows us to rejoice in the blessing to others and takes away harmful comparisons. We can rejoice with those who rejoice. And we can weep with those who weep. That's what unity does. And so on and so forth. I'm going to let one passage be the summary, conclusion of this message. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I'll read this with very little, very little comment. Ephesians chapter 4 summarizes it. As only the Bible can summarize itself, and if I find Ephesians, I'll read it to you. I've got it narrowed down. There we go. It's still before Philippians. There we go. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the, voc of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering and forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. And there is the summary of Christian unity wrapped up in those verses. The powerful and convincing witness of Christian unity. Based not on our evaluation of one another, but based on us looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and walking daily with Him. And we find other people that love the same Lord we love, who believe the same book we believe, and we know that we found someone with whom we can have agreement and fellowship as we go through this life. Let me pray with you. All right, Father, thank you for your words tonight. Thank you for the compelling truth of it. God, may we have the right heart to be in obedience. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us to be trusting of you and charitable towards each other. I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. Why don't you come tonight? It'll be a good time to say, Lord, do a work in my heart. Help me to get the biblical strength and balance of this teaching. Why don't you come? We have song invitation. Why don't you come?